Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a film production junior working for studios in London. Each episode, I bring you advice and stories from film, TV and content professionals to help demystify and democratize the industries for juniors and fans alike. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Today's guest is Oscar-winning production designer Grant Major. With career beginnings in New Zealand on films such as Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures and Jane Campion's An Angel at My Table, Grant gained wider recognition after being the man behind the unforgettable sets of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, as well as King Kong, X-Men Apocalypse, and recently the live-action remake of Disney's Mulan. Grant joins us now from New Zealand. How are you getting on? Oh, very well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice sunny day here. So yeah, good stuff, thank you. Lovely. I'd like to start in the beginning with what did your parents do and did it affect your career aspirations growing up in New Zealand? Um, well, look, you know, having spent a whole life doing the, the arts and creative things, my parents uh, didn't do that at all, actually. You know, I'm, I'm pretty old now. I'm 65. So, you know, way back then when they affected my lives a lot more, um, my dad was a banker and um, my mum was a, a sort of secretary and um, housefrau. But... Um, they were both, looking back on it, they were both fairly artistic people in their own sort of amateur ways. You know, my dad was a very hands-on, he, he fought in the Second World War, learned a lot of skills as an engineer, aircraft engineer, used to make all of our birthday presents and Christmas presents for the whole family. Um, there's seven of us in, in the family. So he used to make all that stuff. And my mum came from Aero Course, where um, before this big consumerist thing that we're in um, latterly, uh, they used to... Um, fix our clothes, used to make our clothes, used to knit jerseys, used to, you know, be very hands, hands-on sort of craftspeople. And I can't help thinking that that had a, a pretty fundamental sort of um, influence on my life in some ways. Um, you know, I've still got, uh, I've still got these hand-drawn uh, illustrations of cartoons that they did in their spare times around the fireplace, listening to the radio probably before TV days. Um, you know, so they they were artists in their own way, but um, uh, I was particularly fortunate to be able to make a living out of it and, uh, you know, make a career out of the arts. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I value that sort of heritage really, even though, it was um, not a not overt. You know, they never encouraged me to go into art school or anything like that. In fact, they were a little suspicious of it. But I think probably deep down they thought, man, he's a lucky guy. You know? <laughs> yeah, you mentioned art school there. And I know that you initially trained in graphics. Back when you were doing that, did you have dreams of the film industry? No, not at all, actually. I mean, um, interestingly, New Zealand was only half the size population-wise when I was at art school that it is now, literally 50% smaller. Um, we didn't have a film industry and we didn't, um, you know, it was like an alien concept in many ways. I mean, uh, that could be a little disingenuous because probably when I was at art school, they were making one or two films, but it was not an industry as much as a sort of boutique kind of um, one-off kind of thing. Um, so I didn't have aspirations to get into the film business. I, um, you know, was encouraged to find an artistic career that would pay me money. Um, so I studied graphics, which was a fairly, you know, it was a pretty well-established kind of a thing back then. And it was only latterly that I sort of stumbled across this idea that you could make a living in that sort of live performance kind of thing. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I did quite well at graphics and uh, and I really enjoyed it. I do carry a lot of those skills with me now. You know, they, they were very valuable, really, particularly in the early part of my career. Mm. Was it graphics that took you to work at the BBC in England or was that another pursuit? No, no, the, uh, in between things. I mean, uh, interestingly, back then when you are at art school, uh, when I was at art school, um, they guaranteed you a job when you graduated. So, <laughs> Don't get that anymore. <laughs> Nowadays, so you know the, the end of your exhibition was full of people who were looking for um, people that are with our skills. You know, in particular the advertising industry, actually. And uh, I was never really that enamoured with the thought of going into advertising so much. So, uh, although I was offered a couple of those sorts of jobs, um, I did accept one with the local TV station, TV. South Pacific Television, it was called then, which um, has now been amalgamated into sort of um, the main sort of TV thing here. So, you know, I was um, went straight from doing graphics, which is essentially a 2D discipline, um, uh, into a 3D world of doing sets, you know. And uh, I, it was, I really flourished doing that. I really loved it. And uh, I did have aspirations of going from my graphic art um school into doing fine art you know I was really uh, I took on this job at TV to as a sort of a, a gap year in a way to be able to earn some money to go and do fine art but I never went and did the fine art thing <clears throat> I just stayed with uh, stayed with um, set designer I was an assistant set designer at this TV station um, but of course given the scale of things I was sort of thrown in the deep end really and said and given shows to design right from the word go I mean within three months I was Designing a telly movie way down the bottom of the South Island on on um, ship a shipwreck kind of um, thing with model photography and location filming and studio sets and all that sort of stuff and here I was three months out of film out of um, art school so it's great. Do you think throwing people into the deep end is a is a good way to manage a department generally? Would you do that with your juniors now? Yes and no. You know, it's a. I mean. I, uh, I I do value a lot that sort of responsibility that was given to me very early on, but it's not to say I could do the job well. Um, you know, I was I was mentored I was mentored by the senior people in the um, in the department back then. So it was a little bit of both, really. You know, I, I New Zealand it's sort of a little idiosyncratic, really, because we're quite a small country. We don't have a uh, a structured sort of um, thing like you have in England, you know, um, where there's a lot of people competing for the same jobs. You have to do this level of work before you can go to the next level and the next level and the next level. You know, um, it's, it's easier to sort of uh, leapfrog a lot of those sort of inter, intermediary kind of things, which is good in one sense and bad in another because you don't get the experience of doing these intermediary things. So, yeah, um, and it sort of affected my career all the way along, really. I was given a lot of a lot of uh, responsibilities early when I was young. At least I considered that to be so. And um, I just, learning on the job is, you know, you learn by your mistakes as much as by your successes. To go back to the theatre thing you were talking about, I find it interesting that you were a young guy, a young Kiwi in London at the time. I presume it was London. What was it like dealing with some of the old school British theatre dwellers and learning your craft there? It was the most incredible experience. You know, I, I say that I, I did uh, pretty well in my New Zealand TV things, but it's nothing compared to being at the BBC, which is um, fundamental sort of, it's, it's like my apprenticeship. I'd like to say it's my apprenticeship, really, which is how I ought to have started. So it's almost I went back to back to 
um, the beginning again restarted. I mean, they actually taught me how to um, draft uh, sets properly because the, the the drafting process there. And I went in as an, as, an, as a holiday relief assistant designer, um, and they they taught me how to draft properly. I mean, I, I learned drafting when I was at secondary school and, and what have you, so I, I, I was capable of doing it. But at the BBC, the, the drafted set plans are like contracts. So when they send these drawings out to um, construction companies and things like that, they had a legal sort of um, ramifications to them. So um, there's a formality in terms of the way that these things were designed, and that was a, a good learning curve for me. And I, um, you know, just spent, because I was on my own in England, I didn't know anyone over there, I just spent, spent all my time at work. It, you know, every sort of moment of my life there was really to do with concentrating on learning how to do this. And it, it was a great, great thing to do that. As well as that, there was like 100 people in the design department at the BBC, you know, which was um, Huge, huge for me. I mean, not not all designers. The bulk of them were designers and assistants and what have you. But there was, there was, um, you know, set decorators. I suppose you call them prop people. And then there was the design department library, you know, which had their own researchers and and all that sort of stuff. So when you know when I was, I ended up sort of specialising in doing um, drama, period drama, which there was a lot of back in the nineteen early eighties back then. And um, so you know, having this ability to be able to go to the to the library and get a researcher to research on a particular place and time period was pretty new for me. Um, so, you know, that depth and that scale and that that um, brilliance of, of people there. There's a lot of dead wood in the place as well, yeah. I've got to say, but <laughs> there's a lot of brilliant people as well who are like who are like the, the primo um, production designers now. A lot of them started off at the BBC, so here we go. And then how was it, obviously, that you moved from that into doing some smaller shows in New Zealand, for example, An Angel at My Table? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, look, um, sort of by accident rather than design, I ended up back in New Zealand. And um, at that time, interestingly, a lot of my my friends from TV days had segued into film. So all of a sudden now there's this visioning kind of um, film business that was that was sort of on the back of a lot of tax breaks. Actually, it was a it was a, a little bit of a wild west kind of era, the the 1980s, and then in New Zealand we did make films, and I must say they were a lot of fun and a lot of and again a, a learning curve for me because I was able to step from being an assistant set designer at the BBC to being an art director. So I'd be a, a what in New Zealand we call it a standby art director, it's sort of like on-set art directing, and then off-set art directing, and then supervising art directing, and and um, then by the time I, um, an angel at my table came along, it was my first production design feature film I ever did. So um, you know I sort of uh, worked my way up through the New Zealand system then um, over the sort of five years or so I, I was back from the BBC. I was also interesting. I was doing things that were not film related as well. I was doing the um, New Zealand Pavilion for the World Expo at, in Australia and in and in Seville in Spain. Um, I designed the opening and closing ceremonies for the Commonwealth Games in Incredible. New Zealand and other sort of tourist destinations and things like that as well. So I was sort of doing film and other stuff, you could say. It does seem that you are quite a jack of all trades because I also noticed that you had a concept artist credit on your roster. Do you feel that production designers need to be able to design to design originally like that, or 
it's enough to be able to weave the talents of others together to create a film's production design. Absolutely. You know, I, I came from graphics, as you're aware, and so I knew illustration, I knew how to draw, I knew how to paint, and I knew how to sell ideas because that's what's all about this concept work is like getting these ideas out of your head and made as a physical thing. So it's a very, very important process. I used to really enjoy doing it myself. Um, but there's just no time to do it now. You know, there's um, the amount of concept work that's done, which is sort of fundamental to the production design process now, um, especially in its early stages, um, is very, very important. Um, I need to do a lot of them. Uh, I don't have time to do it anymore. I, I do sketch and things like that and give them to production, to uh, illustrators, I should say. But um, essentially, these new kids now are so great at what they do. Um, there's a lot of these the newer sort of... Um, programs, you know, like Photoshop and Maya and, and uh, Rhino and all these sort of things are, are tools that have, um, you know, they've sort of left me behind a little bit. You know, it's, it's a struggle to keep up with those sorts of things and, and you know, come out of art school are so much more proficient at it, you know. So um, I really value the skills that they bring. And it's a collaboration process as, as well with um, concept artists. I do as much um, pre-thought sketches and things like that as I can and then I sort of massage as it goes through, but sometimes, you know, an artist will come up with something that I hadn't thought of, or makes it look so much better than than my imagination and things. So it's a you know it's a two way process. Amazing. It's a difficult question to answer because you mentioned that often things happen by accident and you didn't have it planned out. But it sounds like if you were speaking to young Grant now, you would say the way for people to get into your departments is to get amazing at things like Maya. Is that is that your opinion? Uh, right now it is, you know, if you're talking about getting into the department, that's one thing. If you want to become a production designer, that's something else, you know, um, definitely coming into the industry now with those skills, with those, um, uh, you know, computer skills, uh, very, very important because that's the sort of the day-to-day kind of, um, way that we produce things, not just for concepting, but for set design, for cutting files and, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a three-dimensional medium. It's um, malleable. It's it's got so many sort of positives to it that it's a, it's a definite sort of go-to thing. But in terms of production design, it's more than just a tool, you know, because those are tools really. But you have to learn th- 3D design. You have to learn um, film. You have to learn about cameras. You have to learn about what's um, good designers, you know, what's fashionable and trending and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's sort of, you know, it's more than a drawing for. That's interesting and fantastic advice. We'll be back after the break. Lord of the Rings must have been a turning point for you. Did you know at the time that it would be? No. <laughs> yes, it was a turning point. Oh my God. You know, it's, it's like life turned on a dime from that um, from that moment, but um, at the time we were making it, no, I mean it was a it was a big show, it was a big film to do, it was a big challenge to do. It was um, you know with all the other kind of expectations um, from Peter, but essentially it was a New Zealand show, um, you know, albeit with this um, incredible uh, book to bring to life and the responsibilities of that and the the jeopardy and trepidation of of um, having something as important as that to bring to life. Um, I was completely unprepared for the the sort of post um, world that that that, that brought on, um, and I'm still interestingly I still have people coming to me saying Grant Grant we want to do another pr- uh, Lord of the Rings you know, oh my God how often have I heard that you know and, uh, 
how that is um, not going to be so because you know so much of Lord of the Rings is to do with the original material. You know, it's um, mm. you can't just sort of create that out of thin air. It's uh, it's it's more than just a um, film exercise. It's the whole literary heritage of the thing. You spoke about the importance of Lord of the Rings to many people and things. And obviously the Hobbiton set that you designed with Peter and everybody is now arguably one of the most famous landmarks in New Zealand. How does it feel to be someone that's influenced culture in that way? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's incredible. It just, it's like um, it's a bell that keeps ringing and ringing and ringing. You know, it's a, it just sort of, um, it affected New Zealand in a very large way, as you can expect. Um, you know, the, the, the tourist industry in the country sort of grew by 40% after 40% after Lord of the Rings, you know. and um, <laughs> it's unbelievable. People, yeah, people around the world actually, for a moment in time, actually recognised New Zealand as a country that wasn't part of Australia. And um, it, so often it didn't even appear on world maps, you know, on, the, on like news programmes you'd go around the world. New Zealand often wouldn't even be bothered to be put onto the, the world map. You know, so all of a sudden we sort of, there was a moment in time when New Zealand was kind of pretty hip place to to be from so that was good that's fantastic but um i must say my name my um you know there's no credits on the hobbiton um set down south um sure it was part of the part of the um the lord of the rings thing but um i think it's sort of in a way it's it's new zealand's achievement now not my achievement or whatever you know so which is pretty cool it's very cool. Lots of your movies like Lord of the Rings and King Kong could probably be described as a production designer's dream. What's been your favourite use of the total creative freedom you had on massive shows like that? Yeah, it's interesting, eh? Because, um, you know, having done Lord of the Rings, I've now, I have for 20 years been pigeonholed in a sort of a fantasy, fantasy kind of um, role, you know, uh, more specifically so perhaps earlier on. Um, but... Uh, I'm certainly seen to be someone who can do these big pr- production design, you know, big production kind of things where things are made. You know, we make everything with lots of sort of um, uh, high production value visuals and things like that. So, you know, that's been that's been great, and we couldn't be better for a, for a production designer. So, um, you know, and I, and I feel um, like even over the ensuing twenty years since then that I've I've got a little better at it, you know. Um, obviously, it was a huge achievement, um, King Kong and Lord of the Rings, but um, it was also done within the auspices of the uh, Peter Jackson sort of camp, you know. And I was quite keen to get out into the world after that and see if I really was any good. Was I actually any good, or was it just Peter Jackson, you know? So I was, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a journey, you know. There's been some hits and misses along the way, and um, so I really value having that sort of heritage of being able to. Of people being able to employ me because I can do these big production things, you know, it's been great. Would you say that there's a world that you know in your head that you've never done that you'd really love to create, like a favorite book or film idea or something? I don't know. Yeah, well, look, I'm always sort of really ambitious to to do uh, to do more. Um, there's a sort of a science fictiony thing that I haven't really done very much of yet, which is also you can imagine these worlds that are quite conceptual and. Um, and, um, you know, in the throes of c- c- cinematography and, and cinema, you know, there could be quite big production design jobs. That's what I'd, I'd, um, I'd like to do one day. But, but uh, when it comes to choosing projects, they're not necessarily fall into that. Um, that's not my highest priority. You know, the priority for me is that the story is that the 
project is quality and it's all to do with storytelling. Is it a good story? Are there good characters? Is it something that I would bother to go and spend 20 bucks on and go to the cinema and see? You know, the, that's more important to me than um, just the bells and whistles at the moment. Absolutely. I was going to ask, have you ever had a set that Peter Jackson or anyone has proposed to you that you genuinely thought couldn't be done because it was so big or whatever? Yeah, look, I don't think they'd propose something that couldn't be done, um, but it's, it's to do with the degree of um, digital um, extensions that um, that it would be. So, yeah, um, films now are getting more and more confident to create environments that are um, beyond the realms of just being able to make. Uh, it's a double-edged sword, I think, um, but it's, uh, you know, I've continually being asked to do things that are that are designed that we're never going to make but that is part of the production design process you know it still needs to be designed and it's one of the it's a sort of a critical thing these days about whether um cgi world is taking us over like colonizing the production design we it's very important for me that everything is designed by the production designer or the world is designed by the production Mm. yeah and so be that entirely a visual effects thing or part, partially visual effects or entirely a set, you know, still as part of the design of the film that needs to be sort of cohesive. So, no, I don't think anything's been asked. Um, I don't think I've been asked to do anything impossible, you know, sort of difficult. Yes. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I do get anxious a lot of times that I'm able to pull off something well, um, but that's that's part of that's what the That's the business, really. So being challenged is... It's good, you know. Doing new things is good. Being things that haven't do, haven't been done before is good. So, bring it on. That's fantastic. In one of the interviews I read during my research, I saw that you say that you respect the micromanagement of Kubrick and people like that. And I find that interesting because often I hear HODs battling for the opposite. So, what's your opinion on that? And do you think there's like a balance in the middle? Um, yeah, there's a balance. Um, I think when you know things become too micromanaged, there's um, spontaneity is lost and you know those sort of chance things uh, can be lost but at the same time who wouldn't micromanage with Kubrick you know and who wouldn't micromanage with Peter Jackson and uh, Jane Campion and what have you all these sort of micromanagers are are, um, um, getting what they want is really really important you know um, I think that films and projects generally that that are um rely on a committee decision to do this or that, this or that, you know, where there's too many managers, it's, it's very compromising for the film. I think it's, this is an auteur-driven industry and the more singular personality that's at the helm, um, the better. So uh, I'm, I'm very much in favour of that. Of course, you know, I, I, I like to contribute. It's a collaborative process, you know, um, you know, 90% of it's collaboration and maybe 10% of it is diktat. So, I, I uh, you know, I respect strong, creative directors. I hope you're enjoying Red Carpet Rookies. If you'd like to support the show, you can get a two-month free trial of Skillshare, the Netflix of online courses, with the link in the podcast show notes. You can learn from topics including filmmaking, Photoshop, music production, and hundreds more. If you fancy yourself as a scriptwriter, you could even check out my beginner's course for professional screenwriting software, Final Draft. We touched on it earlier, talking about the importance of Lord of the Rings as a subject matter and things, but I've got a rather big question for you. 
In regards to accuracy on shows like Mulan and Emperor, do you feel almost like expectations of a nation on your shoulders to some extent when you're designing those sets? Yeah, I mean, it's an question really because it's, um, you know, just by nature of being in New Zealand and I don't know if there's interest the sort of wider listening public to um, who are listening to this, but, you know, New Zealand is, again, is kind of idiosyncratic. It's a small country. Um, we, do, we don't sort of figure largely in the world um, d- day to day, but we do pride ourselves in doing quality things. You know, we try and aim for, we try and aim high for our small population, you know, I think we do really well. And, um, you know, part of that is the the film industry is sort of part of that picture. You know, we do like to present ourselves to the world as a can-do creative place. Um, So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to doing things like Mulan, yeah, there's an expectation there from the country. I must say, when you're doing these productions, they're quite secretive, so they don't really know what, is going on until this thing comes out and usually when it comes out it's a hit or a miss um so i guess everybody today interestingly right today is the opening day of mulan so everyone's going to read for their reviews to see if the thing's any good or not you know um but at the same time you know i think um seeing new zealand on the big screens usually as another country or another place or another time or another planet or whatever is kind of what it's all about but you know seeing new zealand um doing well is um it's a thing that, that people are very proud of and i'm proud to be part of that so yeah that's fantastic further on the theme of pressure was there a feeling on mulan of having to live up to the original yeah yeah there is there was a feeling for that um the 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 uh animation was pretty successful i think it's a really cool animation actually i love the style of it uh, everything about it was really really cool but um we weren't remaking the animation we were remaking the story of mulan um uh, it's still a Disney thing, so there was a Disney sort of framework that it had to fit into, and a sort of an aesthetic and a sort of a um, you know style stylistic thing. So um, yeah, it's um, Mulan itself is a story that uh, is has been told and told and told many many times. It's a very ancient story. It's almost like a um, you know it goes way back. They don't even know when it was first written, but it's definitely the King King Dynasty. Um, so. It's very old. It's um, it's a Disney version of it. It's going to be colourful. It's it's adventurous and sort of a, a family oriented sort of film. So yeah, I noticed that from Memory and Desire in '98 to Mulan now, you and director Nikki Caro must have seen everything that Hollywood has to offer, positive or negative. How has that affected your relationship? And do you feel a bond as Kiwi collaborators through it all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like Nikki, <clears throat> I met Nikki when she was still at art school. I'd graduated uh, like four or five years earlier than her, so she's a wee bit younger than me. Um, but we've known each other all that time. Um, I was fortunate to have designed her her first feature film, um, and we've sort of kept friends ever since. You know, so we're part of the same gang. We hang out socially. Um, others on the film on, on Milan were part of the same gang. You know, Denise Com is the the um, head makeup artist and Liz Tan is the first AD producer, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, you know, New Zealand's only, uh, Auckland's only got like a couple of million people living in it. So all our film people know each other particularly well. We've worked with each other a lot. It's really been brilliant to have followed Nikki's sort of ascendancy through um, through the and through the um, directing thing. You know, she's always been very intelligent and a literate sort of person. So um, to be, Part of that's been great. And, uh, 
you know, it's a, it's a great way to have um, been part of her sort of um, Hollywood thing. She's living in Hollywood now, so we still keep in touch and things, but, you know, she's half the world away now. That's fantastic. I'm sure she feels the same way about you. We'll be back after the break. As a man very qualified to discuss set extension, do you think that in the future sets are going to get smaller and smaller as VFX potentially takes over? Yes, they will change. I don't know about getting smaller um, per se. I, you know, in, um, my latest kind of epic film, um, Mulan, did have a lot of big sets in it. <clears throat> and there's something about um, the realism that the built environment has that's very difficult to achieve with visual effects. It's, 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 in a way, it's too easy to bump to vis effects to do things because um, so often you feel like you're not part of the film, you're not part of that world. Um, so um, not just myself, but also actors and directors like to have sets that people can interact with and be part of and actually be part of the imagination process when you're actually making this film, uh, making a film, I should say. So I think the, the built environment is always going to be there. Um, now, visual effects are getting more and more tricky. You know, they get more more um, interesting um, ways of being able to do these sorts of things, like these big, massive sort of video screens they've got these days that, that can be the background rather than a green screen. So I think that's a pretty cool sort of new... Um, new way of being able to extend the the sort of environment but again they're just tools and um the the subject matter of what those environments are are very very important um so that they work as a production design storytelling element i think is important the the rest of the visual effects thing is really the tool to carry it out you know so um, I think it's difficult, um, or should I say, I'll rephrase it, it's important not to put the cart before the horse, you know, and that it's the actual production design process that's more important than the way of carrying it out. So, um, yeah, uh, they'll, they may get um, smaller, they may get more um, more uh, broken up. You know, often in the old days, I should say, we'd build 360-degree sets that you can point a camera in any direction. Um, these days they tend to be very layered, you know, you'd do smaller set pieces and they would have different elements. You'd, you'd have a set piece for the action, for example, and another set piece for background action and another set piece for miniatures or you'd have all these different sort of um, elements that make up a single shot. So it's that, that sort of um, atomizing of, of um, each, uh, each scene now is, or each shot is more prevalent, I should say, yeah. I see. Have you come into contact yet with working in the COVID film industry or is that something yet for you to experience yeah i have it's uh it's new i've just um completed filming a, a new jane campion film called the power of the dog that'll be coming out in about a year's time um that was interrupted by covid covid interrupters it should be shouldn't it <laughs> um but as uh yeah so we had to um three weeks out from the the end of filming we had to sort of put the brakes on take a break for x amount of weeks uh and then when we got when we got going again um there was a sort of health and safety protocols that were pretty hard and fast about um you know clocking in and clocking out of the studio um making these health declarations wearing masks and gloves and um working in smaller groups bubbles um of of people um that was all and it, and it allowed us to be able to create uh, to to um, finish the film uh, within this health and safety lockdown. So 
it's a process because we all, you know, uh, traditionally we all work within the one environment, kind, kind of close to each other. There's a lot of physical interaction and things like that. Obviously, when it comes to acting and makeup in particular, um, those things do need that sort of physical interaction. But when it comes to production design, maybe not quite so much. You know, we were we separated out our offset operation with the onset operation, and you know, there's a lot of different sort of um, protocols you could follow to keep a healthy workplace. So all good. You mentioned it earlier with some of your comments on New Zealand being a small country. And I also read an interview of yours where you said it doesn't get heard often, which I don't know if I would agree with because the people you've already mentioned in this conversation alone is proof of the swathes of amazing creatives and projects coming out of the country. Do you think that given the talent pool, the already existing infrastructure, and of course the natural assets, that New Zealand could grow into an international production powerhouse like the UK has in recent years? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's a, it's a very competitive industry. Countries compete with each other to um, attract business. We have a uh, rebate system, which is um, similar to everywhere else. I'm sure England's got one as well. Um, it's, it's the politicians say that it's like a race to the bottom in terms of <laughs> how much rebate can be um, offered up. Australia just changed its rebate recently to attract more business. So we're in direct competition with Australia to... Um, you know, to attract these businesses. But New Zealand, yes, it does have a very strong skill base. We've, um, we've uh, achieved a lot of big budget, um, big visual kind of films before, and particularly with things like Weta Workshops and Weta Digital, um, they're, they're real amazing tools to have. <clears throat> we are of a size that um, past a point, um, we run out of crew. Interestingly, right now, there's hardly anyone available because um, there's some big shows in town that have consumed pretty much everybody. So, um, yes, there's, there's a lot of skilled people here. It's not open-ended. You know, we can't, can't just kind of have um, endless amount of shows here at the same time. But, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we are competitive. And, and, um, and uh, interestingly, when I work overseas, our skill base does equate pretty well to what's going on in places like Canada and Australia and uh, England and what have you. Yeah, Absolutely. And finally, before we do our little last questionnaire, I'd ask you, is there anything you would like to change about the industry? I think it's a, I think it's a really great industry. There's nothing that sort of um, comes to mind per se. I do like the idea because we immerse ourselves in this thing. You know, when you do a show, you don't half do it. You've got to do it 120%, you know. So that means that all day, every day, um, six, seven days a week, um, families tend to suffer as a result. And um, that does tend to be the thing that gets people out of the industry is like having kids and things like that. So I like the idea where we can uh, diversify by having um, the ability to have um, spend time with your kids at work and things like that is good, you know, allowing them onto the set and all that sort of stuff. I do like these things with with Nikki Caro in particular. She's got kids and they hang around on set. She's very keen on um, people having a life as well as working on the on the show, so I mean, I think that's the main thing. Um, uh, other than that, I think you know we it's pretty good. You know, we in New Zealand we got we're very diverse, and and we, you know there's a lot of different um, parts of the community that come together to make it. I mean, that during Lord of the Rings, I think one in every seven people in, in the country had something to do with the making of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, fantastic. So finally, I do my little questionnaire, which is an ode to In the Actors Studio. So it's just a little quick fire. So say whatever comes into your head first. You ready, Grant? Bring it on. Number one, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, one from memory is from directly from Peter Jackson, actually. He said, make it real. It's got to be real. Because if you don't create a real world, you're not 
believing in the world and you're not believing by extension the the actors and the story and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's pretty simple, really. Make it real. Even if it's fantasy, even if it's like period or out of space or what have you, what have you, it's got to be real. Amazing. Number two, do you have a favourite film? The ones that carry with me over time, it sounds like a real cliche saying this, but it's, um, it's um, Lawrence of Arabia and 2001 A Space Odyssey. You can't beat them. They're brilliant. And maybe Solaris, the Russian Solaris um, production. Yep. Very cool. Number three, what gives you a reason to get out of bed for an early call time, if any at all? It's like fear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, we've got a, it's, it's a thrill of doing these things. Sometimes I feel absolutely thrilled. I can't get enough of it. Other times I feel absolutely in terror of the, of what I do because the responsibilities and the money being spent and all that sort of stuff. It's just like, um, it's an addictive thing. Show business does that to you. So, yeah. Number four, which job in the industry would you do if you weren't doing yours? I've had aspirations. I would have aspirations to be an editor. Actually, I think editing is a really cool part of the process, and um, a little bit understated in a way. But they do they do one of the most critical jobs in terms of constructing a story. Number five, what general profession would you not like to do in life? Well, uh, I think um, I've never really warmed to being an accountant. Being a son of an accountant and and being hopeless at maths, I um you know that that uh, would be the job that would make me hang myself probably especially yeah. with your family's arts background yeah <laughs> number six if you could work with one person living or dead who would it be uh i think stanley kubrick yeah number seven what is a book that everyone should read oh look i read over the crisp over almost a year already but i read um sapiens by yuval hariri which uh, affected me very deeply um, he's an incredible writer and incredible sort of philosopher. So read it. I strongly recommend. Great answer. I've heard that a lot. And finally, I like to ask if you won an Oscar, who would you thank? But of course, for you, Grant, I must ask, who did you thank and why? Yeah, well, they give you 15 seconds for these sorts of things. And I decided to share a speech with um, my fellow um, uh, set decorator and uh, set decorators. Um, but um, it was, to me, the most important thing is the crew. Because although notionally I'm sort of head of department, these guys, these people, these um, people, men and women who make up the art department are such cool people. And they're like my brothers and sisters when we're doing these things. I do try and encourage everybody to be involved creatively, you know, to be able to be able to make your own decision, to be able to make their own decisions on this job, the individual jobs they're doing, and they rise to the occasion and create a sort of an exponential sort of vision to the to the thing that uh, I think is fantastic. So good on them. Amazing answer. Thank you so much to Grant Major for joining me today and for your eloquent advice and stories of the business. I can't quite believe I've spoken to the man who designed Hobbiton. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. To keep updated, you can follow Red Carpet Rookies on Instagram and Facebook, RC Rookies Pod on Twitter, or contact us at redcarpetrookies at gmail.com. And please do subscribe or drop us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store, on your iPhone, or online if you're an Android user. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.